0: Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, if. if, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Hello, and welcome to the Explorers Podcast. Today is part five in our series on British explorer Richard Francis Burton. Just want to remind you that you can see maps and photos of our subject, as well as links to resources, on our website, explorerspodcast.com. Let's get going. Last time, we left Burton and his fellow explorer, John Hanning-Speak, at the edge of Lake Tanganyika in East Africa. The lake is huge, 418 miles long and 45 wide, or 675 by 72 kilometers. Tanganyika is the second largest lake in Africa, and the sixth largest in the world. It has more than 1,800 kilometers, or 1,100 miles, of shoreline. The lake sits in the East African Rift, and is confined by the mountainous walls of the valley. It is a spectacular sight, and it was a momentous revelation to the rest of the world. And so, Burton was triumphant. He and Speak had endured seven and a half months of misery to reach the lake overcoming malaria, fevers, hostile natives, torrential rains, and mind-numbing heat to reach their goal. At this point, Burton could barely walk, while Spee could not see due to eye inflammation. But they had done it, and Burton was thrilled. Ideally, the expedition would sail around the lake and determine if there was a northerly flowing river connecting to Tanganyika. If there was, there was a good chance that this was the source of the Nile. The caravan entered the trading post of Ujiji on February 14, 1858. This was a center of slave and ivory trade, which meant that Burton and Speak automatically came under suspicion by the locals because they weren't trading. Everyone asked, why were they here? The Arab traders were particularly suspicious, as they always feared someone cutting into their profitable trade networks. And in the case of the slave trade, there was always the fear that someone would try and put an end to the practice. Ujiji was run by a man named Kanina, I think I'm pronouncing that right, who ruled on behalf of the local chief, who was only a child. Canina was annoyed because he charged a tax on every slave and tusk traded. Burton's caravan thus offered him no profit. And when the guy went to talk to the newcomers, Burton kicked the man out of the tent. In Burton's defense, he didn't know who the guy was, but he had just upset the most important man in the region. Canina would end up harassing the caravan and even levy a tax on those not trading. Now, Burton had promised to pay all of his men upon reaching Lake Tanganyika, and he did so in cloth. Many of the men turned around and used the cloth to buy slaves which did not thrill Burton, although there was nothing much he could do about it. By the way, a slave could own a slave in this region of Africa. Now, all of these issues aside, Burton wanted to explore the lake. For that, he needed a large boat, none of which was available in Ujiji. He was told, however, that an Arab trader on the other side of the lake had a dowel, which would fit his needs. To acquire use of the boat, Burton dispatched Speke in a canoe on March 2nd, even though Speke's vision was severely limited by his eye infection. So while speak headed across Tanganyika Burton would spend the next 27 days recovering from all his ailments of this time Burton said he quote, "chiefly spent it eating and drinking smoking and dozing" end quote. and he no doubt did his usual exploration of the sexual habits of the locals the lake which sits at an elevation of about 2500 feet or 760 meters had a relatively healthy climate Also, there were animals to hunt, lots of fish in the lake, plus things such as beans, vegetables, milk, honey, rice, and sweet potatoes. Burton would also take the time to interview those who lived on the lake. In typical Burton fashion, he would collect a boatload of data about the people, their customs, and the region. Of course, he pressed everyone about Tanganyika, trying to learn about the lake's geography and features. He would talk to one man who told Burton that there was a river at the northern end of the lake, and more importantly, the river flowed out of the lake, not into it. This excited Burton because, if true, it meant that Tanganyika was a potential source of the Nile. As for John Hanning-Speak, he would set out for the opposite side of the lake in a canoe with 20 paddlers, a couple of Askaris, and City Bombay, the expedition's most trusted man. The big problem Speak ran into was rain. It was monsoon season, and the rains and winds were furious. During one tempest, Speak and his team would put ashore on an island to ride out the storm. Well, during the night, the storm would throw open his tent in an attempt to clean everything up, Speak would light a candle. Within seconds, thousands of tiny black beetles filled his tent. They got all over everything, including Speak. Speak would try and clear out the bugs, but to no avail. There were just too many. Exhausted, he finally gave up and went back to sleep. Well, during the night, one of those beetles crawled into his ear. Speak would wake up and try and get the thing out, but it only burrowed deeper into his ear. He would try everything he could to get the still-living beetle to emerge, including smoke, oil, and melted butter. Nothing worked. Finally, he used a penknife, killing the beetle, but also damaging his own ear. It was a pretty awful situation. Speak could not get the dead beetle out of his ear, and the injury caused by the penknife became infected. Soon, pus was running out of it. The infection, and the pain that it caused, made Speak's facial muscles contort from his ear to his shoulder. It was so bad for a couple of weeks, he could barely open his mouth, and he had to be fed broth through a tube. Of it all, Speak would later write, quote, For many months, the tumor made me almost deaf, and ate a hole between the orifice and the nose so that when I blew it, my ear whistled, end quote. For the next six to seven months, bug parts would work their way out of Speak's ear and would cause him intense pain. Now, all of that misery aside, Speak would get to the other side of the lake and meet with the Arab trader. The man agreed to let Speak use his boat and even provide a crew, just not yet. The trader would delay for days and days until the man finally admitted that the boat would not be available for three months. Speak would have to go back to Ajiji empty-handed, which annoyed Burton, who would say, quote, I was sorely disappointed. He had done literally nothing, end quote. Now, despite not getting the Dow, Speak would bring back some interesting news. He had been told that the north end of the lake featured a large river draining out of it to the north. This was interesting news, and Burton decided that they needed to investigate this river. Burton appealed to the local headman, Canina, and struck a deal to hire two large canoes, one 60 feet long, the other 40 feet long, or 18 by 12 meters, respectively, as well as a crew, guide, and interpreter. The cost was big, very big. Burton reported that he paid Canina 33 coiled bracelets and 803 strings of beads, plus a promise for more cloth if they could find this river in the north. The crew were paid 80 links of cloth and 210 strings of beads. It was a steep price, but Burton had no other options. The two canoes would depart from Ujiji on April 10th. Despite the men's health issues, both Burton and Speak were on the excursion, which included Bombay, a few Askaris, and 55 paddlers. The canoes headed up the eastern side of the lake for about 75 miles, or 120 kilometers, before heading to the western shore. On April 26th, they would reach the trading posts of Uvira. This was the extent of the slave traders' influence, and the crew refused to go further north, saying the natives were fierce and deadly. Even Bombay, Burton's most trusted team member, was against going any further. Burton would spend nine days in Ovira, hoping that someone would take him north, but nothing would happen and he would have to admit defeat. And another disturbing piece of news was that the locals all agreed that there was a river to the north, but that it flowed into the lake, not out of it. If that was the case, it was not the Nile. By the way, when Burton pressed the guy who told him back in Ujiji that the river flowed out of the lake, the man would admit that he'd never actually been to the river and when Burton asked about the information Speake had gotten about the northerly flowing river, Bombay would say that Speak had likely misinterpreted what he'd been told. All of this was bitterly disappointing to Burton. The frustrating thing was that he couldn't reach the river and actually find out the truth for himself. By the way, Burton was actually only 20 miles, or 32 kilometers, from the northern end of the lake. If he had gotten to that point, he would have found a river flowing into Tanganyika. This is the Ruzizi River, which flows from a mountain lake. No matter, Burton and Speak and the canoes would return to Ujiji on May 13th. By the way, on the trip, Burton developed an ulcer on his tongue so big, he couldn't speak. It would take more than two weeks for his tongue to return to normal size. Otherwise, both Burton and Speak were feeling a little better. Not great, but better. Speak's eyesight was returning, although the ear pain was debilitating at times. Burton's hands and feet were still swollen, and he struggled to walk, but again he had improved. Now, on the return to Ujiji, Burton would be greeted by the appearance of a caravan bearing supplies and letters. Remember when Burton had departed Zanzibar the previous summer? He had been forced to leave behind a bunch of provisions due to the lack of porters and pack animals. Well, here, some of that stuff would show up, including ammunition, food, cloth, beads, and other items. Unfortunately, it wasn't the best of the trade goods, as the really valuable stuff had been stolen by the merchants back in Zanzibar. However, it would provide Burton with some much-needed barter goods he was low at this point and the newly arrived items would at least buy provisions and hire porters to get the caravan back to Deborah, the trading station about a month's journey to the east the caravan would also bring outside news to Burton and Speak the first real news they had received in nearly a year one of the things they would find out about was the indian rebellion of 1857 the rebellion would be put down but not before hundreds of thousands were dead the indian rebellion by the way signaled the beginning of the end of the East India Company, as the British government would soon nationalize the company and take over its operations. Anyhow, Burton would have liked to have spent time exploring the southern part of Tanganyika, but he didn't have the trade goods needed to hire canoes and porters, all the while feeding his own team. Thus, he decided that it was time to head back to Zanzibar. By the way, if Burton had explored to the south, he would have truly realized how big Tanganyika really was. And if he had tested the depths of the lake, he would have been astounded to find it as deep as 4,700 feet or 1,430 meters. It is the second deepest freshwater lake in the world. Again, while Burton was amazed by Tanganyika, he didn't fully comprehend how massive the lake really was. On his departure, Burton would wax poetically about the mighty lake, writing, quote, I shall long remember the morning of 26th of May, which afforded me the last sunrise spectacle of the Tanganyika Lake. The charm of the scenery was perhaps enhanced by the reflection that my eyes might never look upon it again. End quote. Shortly thereafter, the caravan pulled up stakes and began their march east. This was chaotic, as many of the men had bought slaves of their own. This meant a bunch of people were not only carrying gear and packs and leading donkeys, but they were trying to keep track of their own slaves. Burton was probably satisfied, as many of these slaves deserted on the march east. The expedition would pull into Tabora on June 20th, The men badly needed a rest. Malaria was a big problem amongst the porters and askaris. At this point, Burton was completely worn out, and he had to be carried in a hammock. And this was not just a physical exhaustion, but a mental one. For a year, the men had been on the march, and the stress of managing such a large expedition had taken a huge toll on Burton. The fear of failure loomed large over all the team was trying to do. And now that the caravan was on the road back to Zanzibar, it was as if his body and mind just let out a massive sigh of relief. And thus, Burton was content to just relax into Bora and let himself, and the rest of the caravan, recuperate. And that takes us to John Hanning's Speak. Speak's health was not too bad at this point. His eyesight was, mostly recovered, although he struggled to read and write due to the infection. Now, let us stop and talk about the big elephant in the room. And that's the supposed great lake that lay to the north. It was called Nyanza by the natives, which I think I pronounced right. The name, by the way, just means lake. Well, someone had the idea to conduct a sub-expedition to the north to investigate this lake. Who made the suggestion is debatable. Speak said it was his idea, Burton said that it was his, and that he sent Speak on the mission. Burton would later tell people that he sent Speak as a way to get rid of the man so he could have some peace and quiet while he recovered. So, why wouldn't Burton want to check out this northern lake? Well, first, Burton was, without question, not in good physical shape. He really wanted to take the time to recover. Second, Burton had heard all sorts of stories of big lakes and mountains or whatever throughout his time in Africa. Thus, he dismissed this latest bit of information as yet another tall tale, another exaggeration. If he went chasing after every rumored lake or whatever, he would have crossed Africa by now. And third, let's face it, Burton was content. He had found a great lake. That had been his goal. To go off on another journey at this point just seemed foolish. Plus, there was a lot he could do in Tabora. He could gather information from the traders and natives about the local history, the rivers, the mountains, and so forth. And he could study the language, which Burton loved. Remember, to Burton, there was more to exploration than just geography. Thus, he was not interested in going north. Why take the risk? And so, Burton would dispatch Speak to investigate the lake to the north. It was the biggest mistake that Burton would ever make in his life. Speak departed from Tabora on July 9, 1858, along with Bombay, some ascaries, porters, and donkeys. The destination was, reportedly, about 15 to 20 days away. The march would be difficult. Speak only had Bombay to talk with, and the porters and Askaris resented being dragged on a march that seemed fruitless. And most of them disliked Speak, who was openly contemptuous of the Africans. I should note that Speak was always an Englishman. He never took off that mantle. In the eyes of the natives, he was a snotty, arrogant, and ignorant jerk. They did not like him, and Speak, frankly, did not like them either. Speak's writings are littered with comments such as this, quote, The natural laziness and ignorance of the people is their own and their country's bane, end quote. It all made for an uncomfortable trek. Thankfully, Bombay was able to be a bridge between Speak and the natives, and they were able to keep things moving. The march was hobbled by the fact that Speak had brought the wrong trade goods, specifically beads. He had brought white ones, but the locals wanted the colored ones. Thus, it was a slow march north. But then, on August 3rd, 1858, Speak would reach the southern edge of a large body of water. He immediately concluded that this was the source of the Nile, later writing, quote, I no longer felt any doubt that the lake at my feet gave birth to that interesting river, the source which has been the object of so many explorers. End quote. This was, to be honest, a very presumptuous conclusion. Speak did not explore the lake, and he'd only seen a small part of it. He didn't know if there were any rivers flowing out of it to the north. And it's not as if Speak could talk to the locals and gather much information about the lake. Remember, the only person he could even speak to was Bombay. Plus, Speak couldn't even read or write very well due to the lingering effects of his eye infection. And with regards to scientific readings and calculations, well, Speak could never learn much about surveying. Plus, many of the instruments didn't work. Thus, to declare this new lake the true source of the Nile was more than a little presumptuous. But you know what? Speak was right. Lake Victoria is the source of the Nile. Now, he had no proof of this, but time will vindicate the guy. As a note, one thing Speak did do was to estimate the elevation of the newly christened Lake Victoria to be around 4,000 feet, or 1,220 meters. That's a little high, but not by much. To have found a large lake at such a height made it much more likely to be the Nile's source than Tanganyika. By the way, one thing that Burton despised was putting European names on places, but Victoria did stick. And so Speak would head back to Tabora, where he would tell Burton his story. Burton was skeptical, if not hostile, to Speke's conclusions. And you can understand why. Burton did not doubt Speke had found a large body of water, but there was no proof that it was the Nile's source. And let's be honest, Burton was upset because Speke's discovery threatened to steal his own thunder. The whole thing only fractured the two men's relationship even more. Speak was, frankly, tired of Burton's sarcasm, biting comments, and disparaging nature. He would later write, quote, B, referring to Burton, is one of those men who can never be wrong and will never acknowledge an error, so that when only two are together talking, it becomes more of a bore than a pleasure. End quote. And Burton had his fill of Speak as well. One writer compared the two to an ill-matched couple who stayed together for the sake of the children. By the way, it's not known if Burton considered heading up to the newly discovered Lake Victoria to investigate Speak's discovery. Why didn't he do this? Well, probably due to his health, low provisions, and most importantly, a fear that Speak's discovery would overshadow his own. If he didn't go see the lake, he could continue to downplay its importance. In the end, the two men would avoid speaking about the Nile, and the rift that had opened between them would never close. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, Burton's speak and the caravan would pack up and head east. Thankfully, other loads of trade goods from Zanzibar would arrive to help Burton buy food and supplies. The caravan was returning to the coast in what was known as the Dead Season, where drought and famine were much more common. This made the cost of food high. On the return journey, Burton's health would improve enough that he could ride a donkey instead of having to be carried in a litter. Also, Burton proved to be more up to the task of leading the caravan as they headed back to Zanzibar. He was firmer, stepping in when fights began and showing an even hand when disciplining the men. He replaced the caravan head, Saeed bin Salim, with the trusted Bombay. Another thing he did was to number and record all the loads carried by the porters. This way, if anything went missing, the culprit was easily identified and disciplined. Why was Burton better? Who knows? Perhaps it was the simple fact that the men were heading back east, so they saw a light at the end of the tunnel, and there was less and less need to challenge their boss. Or maybe Burton had a better grasp of the language and the customs of the people and adapted to them more effectively. And perhaps it was just time and experience. People can and do learn and improve. My guess is that it was all of these things and more. Burton just grew as a leader and developed a better understanding of what was needed of him. But in the end, who knows? Side note here. Regarding the African languages, Burton struggled to master them. They just weren't constructed like other languages he knew, and he was slow to pick them up. Speak, by the way, would write disparagingly of Burton, almost gloating, when he struggled to learn the languages of the continent. Which is rather ironic, as Speak didn't know any other language other than Hindustani, and he didn't even try to learn them, which Burton pointed out repeatedly. Anyhow, side note done. Two weeks into the return March East, illness would again strike. This time it was Speak, who would get a terrible burning in his chest and suffer through spasms, and then at night he would have terrible nightmares, dreaming of being chased and torn apart by wild animals and demons. It got so bad, Speak would write a goodbye letter to his family. The man, however, would recover and the team would move on, retracing their steps to the coast. On February 2, 1859, the expedition would sight the Indian Ocean, and you'd have thought that they would head straight to Zanzibar. Ah, but no. Burton had wanted to go to Kilwa, a city on an island about 150 miles to the south of Zanzibar. Why did he want to go? Well, why not? Many of the men and animals would return to Zanzibar, and a boat was brought back to convey Burton and the rest of the team to Kilwa. And so, on February 12th, Burton sailed south down the coast. The excursion proved to be a waste, as cholera was sweeping through Kilwa. It was said that half the population had died. Burton, who had seen the effects of cholera, was stunned by the devastation. After a short stay, the team would sail back to Zanzibar, reaching it on March 4th, 1859. By the way, cholera was also devastating Zanzibar, with 30,000 dead. Plus, there was a civil war in progress, only adding to the chaos. And so, Richard Burton's African expedition was, essentially, over. Burton had considered staying and exploring more, but he wasn't in good health. Plus, there was a serious obstacle in the form of the new British consul in Zanzibar, a man named Captain C.P. Rigby. Years earlier in India, Burton had beaten out Rigby for the top score on one of the language exams, Rigby despised Burton and pretty much did everything in his power to badmouth him and discourage him from hanging around. At the same time, he would praise Speak. Thus, Burton and Speak would depart Zanzibar on March 22nd, arriving in Aden on April 16th. In Aden, Burton would elect to stay in the city, recuperating and visiting with his friend, Dr. John Steinhauser. It was a serious mistake, as Burton, again, failed to take advantage of the situation. Instead, Speak was allowed to return to England alone, two weeks ahead of Burton. Burton claims that they had agreed not to unveil their findings until they were both together. Speak would later say there was no such agreement. And so, when Speak got back to England, he announced to the world that he'd found the source of the Nile. Speak even reported that Burton had said he, Speak, should be the one to head back to Africa and further explore the region. The newspapers and public went wild, praising Speak for his bravery and accomplishments. And when Burton returned to England, he was, again, an afterthought. He would say, quote, the ground was completely cut from under my feet, end quote. And he was correct. Speak had found the right moment and pounced. He would publish some articles and conduct some lectures. In these, he would depict Burton as an invalid who hampered the expedition more than helped it, that sort of thing. Some say that Speak did this at the urging of his friends, as well as his new publisher. It was a campaign to trash Burton and promote Speak. Captain Rigby in Zanzibar sent charges back to the British government, claiming Burton had failed to pay the caravan personnel, which was a lie. Rigby would be a prominent supporter of Speak in a letter to Speak he would say, quote, "You were the leader without you, Burton would never have gotten anywhere. End quote. He would tell others that Burton had been afraid to venture into the interior and that it was Speke who had carried the expedition. Things like that also remember last time I said that Burton had put together a huge amount of information on the area around Zanzibar, which would later be a two-volume book, that would be published in 1872. While the reason it took so long to get it published was that all the information mysteriously vanished. It had been given to the British consulate in Zanzibar with orders to be sent back to the Royal Geographical Society, but it had never arrived. Some people suspect that Rigby purposely sent all of Burton's research to the wrong destination to diminish his accomplishments. Burton's notes on Zanzibar would, finally, be found about a decade later at which time he would then turn them into the book, Zanzibar, City, Island, and Coast. And so, Burton came back to England, still weak from his experience in Africa, to find himself forgotten or attacked. It was all petty and sad. The campaign against Burton, which would go on for years, really cast a poor light on Speak. Burton would say, quote, My companion now stood forth in his new colors, an angry rival, End quote. Bywin Farwell, in his biography on Burton, wrote, quote, it is difficult to escape the conclusion that the discoverer of the major source of the Nile and the largest lake in Africa was a cad. End quote. I want to add that there is other stuff, some of which we will talk about next time, that really makes Speak unlikable. And to be honest, there is some stuff about Speak that will really creep you out. There's one or two things that are so disturbing I won't even share them on this podcast. I don't say that to be sensationalistic or anything, just to emphasize that Speak was a weird guy and not in a good way historians tend not to like him, and I'll have to admit, I fully agree. Now, all the stuff about Speak needs to be viewed with a dose of caution, and that's because the man he is disparaging is Richard Francis Burton, who is no saint. When the knives come out, Burton will fight back and at times be just as petty as Speak. Burton had, in fact, in a letter to the Royal Geographical Society, acknowledged that Lake Victoria was more likely the Nile's source, saying, quote, There are grave reasons for believing it to be the source of the principal feeder of the White Nile. End quote. But back in England, under attack from Speak and his allies, Burton quickly changed his story to support himself and slam his former comrade. For years, he would take any chance he could to poke at Speak, often with his trademark sarcasm. And like Speak, Burton would enlist his own supporters to tell his story and Poo-Poo Speak's version of things. As I said, it was all very petty and sad. No one looks good. In the end, the Royal Geographical Society would award Burton their gold medal for leading the expedition but when the society elected to send a follow-up expedition to fully explore lake victoria they selected speak not burton to lead it it was the ultimate slap in the face to burton and it only escalated his feud to speak now a few things about burton before we do a wrap-up of his african expedition first he would write another large book on his african adventures titled lake regions of central africa it would be published in 1860 it is a two-volume adventure and, as always, has lots and lots of pages with lots and lots of details. Second, Burton's health is never going to fully recover from his African expedition. He was nearly 40 years old, and he had lived a hard life. He had endured malaria and dysentery and fevers and a thousand other things, and the bill was now coming due. It didn't help that Burton drank more and continued using opium to deal with the lingering effects of all these health-related issues. Third, Burton's romance with Isabel Rundell would be rekindled on his return to England. Burton had not written to her in Africa except for a single poem. That was it. Despite the years away and lack of contact, Isabel refused to move on from Burton, despite fearing that he had forgotten her. She even considered becoming a nun. However, once back in England, the two would get back together. By the way, Isabel was shocked by Burton's appearance, saying, quote, He was a mere skeleton. End quote. As before, Isabel's mother was dead set against marriage due to Burton not being a Catholic. Even after Burton agreed to be married in a Catholic ceremony and raise the couple's children as Catholic, it was still a no-go with mom. Burton wanted to elope, but Isabel refused. So, as the two discussed marriage and met in secret, it takes us to point number four. And that will be Burton's next adventure, a journey to the United States. The United States? Yes, Burton's next adventure will be to the United States. But that will be for next time. Let's end today's episode with a few thoughts on Burton's African expedition. So, if you look at the stated goals of the endeavor, you can only conclude that it had been a success. Burton and Speke had done what they had set out to do. They had found not one, but two great African lakes, one of which was likely the Nile's source. And Burton had brought back a trove of information about the region that was a gold mine to the world. To emphasize this, I read that Burton's writings are so detailed and so good, they are still required in some college courses with regards to studying ethnology, which is the comparative and analytical study of cultures, to me, that really demonstrates the incredible detail of Burton's work. Now, all these things are great, but I have to point out that the expedition had been conducted in a less-than-stellar manner. Burton's ability to manage a large team was shaky, at best. All his cleverness and smarts and charm didn't translate when it came to running the caravan. Still, they had done it. Burton and Speak had gone where no white man had ever ventured, and they had done it despite being racked by sickness and disease. So, on the score sheet, Burton's expedition had been a success. But let's remember, there's more to life than just what's on the score sheet. And we don't have to look hard to see that Burton had, again, missed out on a golden opportunity. He had had the chance to go to Lake Victoria, but had passed. It would have made him famous. In hindsight, it just seemed so foolish to have trusted that Speak would just come back with nothing. And even after Speak returned, there was a chance for Burton to recover from what had been an awkward situation. If he had gone back to Victoria with Speak and actually explored the lake, he would have returned to England saying he and his team had found the source of the Nile. And that's important because this was Burton's expedition, not Speak's. Yes, Speak had been the first to the lake, but Burton had followed, and if they'd actually explored and found the river flowing out of the lake, going north, that would have been huge. Once back in England, no one would have been talking about Burton's discoveries versus Speak's discoveries. Both men would have been celebrated. But this would have meant sharing the glory with Speak, and acknowledging that it had been Speak to reach the lake first. In the end, Burton's ego just wouldn't allow that, and it would push Speak's animosity towards his boss to its limits. Perhaps I'm wrong to say this is true. Perhaps Speak would still have come out and tried to claim the prize and trash his boss. But I fault Burton for not swallowing his pride and trying. In some ways, you can argue that Burton pushed Speak towards his actions, although that's a weak argument, once you consider how calculated Speak would be to push his own agenda. Anyhow, another way Burton erred was by not returning to England with Speak. He had allowed Speak to get to London two weeks early, where he proclaimed himself the discoverer of the source of the Nile. It was a stupid decision by Burton, and he should have seen the perils of letting Speak head off without him. This seems to be the fate of Burton, just missing out on glory. He had done a great thing in reaching Lake Tanganyika, but Speak had managed to seal the better part of the headlines, just as the attack near Berbera had taken away from Burton's accomplishments of reaching Harar. It is all a tough pill that Burton would have to swallow. So what will we talk about next time? Well, we will discuss Burton's trip to the United States, as well as his job as a consul in West Africa. But more importantly, we will talk about the growing feud between Burton and Speak. It is a controversy that will rage for years and will end in tragedy. So that is it for today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please take care and I will see you next time. I want to add that the Explorers podcast is part of the Airwave Media Network. Go to airwavemedia.com to find other indie podcasts such as This Week in Travel and Wild Black.